Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, topic is 3PL Basics, the 11 transportation services with Jeremy Thone. Welcome, Jeremy. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Good. So, uh, Jeremy, where are you located? Where do you work? What do you do? Yeah, I actually am located over in Portland, Oregon. I work for a company called 3PL Systems. We are a TMS provider in the third-party logistics space, and I am the marketing director. Before we get started, I'll give you guys a little bit of background. So, Today's topic is the 11 transportation services, which is part of a series of podcasts I'm going to do, which is on the basics of transportation logistics. When you look at logistics and transportation, the logistics space, their third-party logistics, there's a whole bunch of services out there. There's the transportation stuff, the warehousing stuff, logistics stuff, all the technology stuff, and then there's a million little special services. So today we're going to go over just the 11 transportation services, and I'm going over it with my old buddy, Jeremy who I've known for many years. I used 3PL systems when I was working at a third-party logistics company, and I got to know those guys real well. And now Jeremy's the highfalutin director of marketing, but I think he was probably just one of the uh, service customer service people that we bugged <laughs> before. I forgot to check out the trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a long time. I'm thinking like 10 years ago. So, But I always enjoyed working with Jeremy and the rest of the 3PL team, so I've known him for a long time. So when I wanted to do this podcast, I said, I'm going to call someone who I know knows about these things. And since Jeremy's not only a techie and a marketing guy, he's also grew up in a transportation family. He knows this stuff pretty well. <laughs> so again, today's topic is 3PL Basics, 11 Transportation Services. We'll get into that in just a minute. But before we do, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles over kind of Santa Monica, Venice Beach area, I went to school over at USC, ended up graduating from the Marshall School of Business in 2003. Impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I wasn't really a good student either, so I just kind of had to work hard at it. To- you must have been good at some point. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but then I ended up working for my dad's 3PL right after I got out of college, kind of an independent 1099 contractor for sales. Doesn't sound very privileged. You should have had a top job by then. You had the inside track, man. (laughs) I know. My dad was always very big on no nepotism. So he just wanted me to go out and bang on doors and get rejected all day long. So you you were a freight broker? Yeah. So we had contracts with like Yellow Freight, FedEx Freight, all these different trucking companies. And my first customer actually was this lady named Lisa at a company called Arrow Engines. And she shipped aircrafts from LA all over the US and crates that were a couple hundred pounds, class 85 freight. Oh, nice. So you started, you did a little bit of less than the truckload. So is your dad's company, as he and his partner still around, right? Yeah, they're still around. They're still in business together. What company? It's a diversified transportation services. Based in LA? Based in Torrance, yep. Nice, nice. So tell us a little bit of how 3PL Systems began and how you ended up over there. Yeah, so 3PL Systems began because we were looking for a way to kind of operate a little bit more efficient. And we ended up building out this rating engine at the time where you could pull in 
all of your LTL contracts. So like, let's just say you had 10 different LTL carriers. You could put in two zips, the weight of the freight, and then also the class. And then it would pull back all of those rates into the system, least cost routing, basically. So you could pick the lowest cost carrier or the most efficient. So we developed that first, and then it kind of just led from there. That was like how long ago? 2005. <laughs> it must have seemed really high tech then. Now you look back and go, really? Is that what we were doing? <laughs> totally. It was a big deal at that time, sure especially was. for the customers, because then you could go out and your customers could read their shipments themselves, which was nice. So they had a logistics, your dad and his partners had a logistics company, then they founded 3PL Systems. I should say created this rating engine, then realized we have another business here, and they spun that off, and you ended up at 3PL? Yeah, so I, I'd been doing the knocking on doors for a while, and I was doing pretty well. Again, it was all 1099, and then I kind of just wanted to do something different. I think that I end up wanting every couple of years to do something completely different, so that's just kind of what happened, just next step in my process. Nice, nice. Well, one thing that I've always said about 3PL systems is you guys were logistics guys first, not techies first. There's nothing wrong as long as you can make a good system, but your dad's company still uses 3PL systems for their internal software. So you know they're eating their own cooking. So there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. All right, Jeremy. So let's get into this. So today's topic again is the 11 transportation services. And this, again, is a series of podcasts I want to do on the, just the basics of what 3PL services there are out there. And there are 11 transportation services. And this comes from a white paper I wrote many years ago, and I didn't want to update. So I thought, hey, let's do podcasts instead. So the first topic I want to talk about, the first service that's out there is package delivery or small parcel. So I think most of us know that as UPS or FedEx, and I think more and more we're seeing that as United States Postal Service and also our buddies over at Amazon. And and I think it is absolutely booming because of the home delivery. I know like everybody who's used to be just truckload or LTL or intermodal now is saying, oh, we better have some small parcel capability. So what do you have to add to that, Jeremy? Yeah, no, I mean, I think smart parcel is huge. It's anything usually less than 100 pounds. It's going to be your major players are going to be UPS, DHE, uh, USPS. I know I just forgot one. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned you used to DHL overseas. So yeah, we have DHL comes in, but it doesn't go. I think they deliver outside the US to the US and maybe from the US, but not inside the US anymore. And why I also mentioned Purolator. Purolator does, I think they're the biggest small parcel carrier in Canada, and they do some stuff. Uh, they'll pick up here in the U.S. and deliver a lot there. And I think they're half owned, 51% owned by the Canadian Postal Service. So big area. So that's the first service. So the second service we're going to talk about is air cargo. So talk a little bit about that first. Air cargo is anything that's like over 100 pounds that ships on an airplane. It's going to be a lot more expensive to ship. There's also going to be requirements for heights. I believe it's about four feet is about as tall as you can go in the cargo of a plane. And it's also going to be a lot more expensive to ship than other modes of transportation. Yep. I remember when I worked in automotive, I was building Jeeps over in China and we had to ship, oh, in Thailand too. And I remember we had to ship parts and typically we would ship ocean freight. And when there was a problem, like, you know, parts had to change or they became obsolete or we had a shortage we would do air freight. And every time there was air freight, I would hear from the purchasing guy screaming bloody murder that who shipped all this air freight, but it was unavoidable. So yeah, to your point, it is more expensive. So 
usually when you talk about air freight that's coming from Europe or Asia into the U.S. or elsewhere, it is more expensive than ocean freight. And I guess I've used also, I've used air freight a lot for, not a lot, but some for expediting. Every once in a while when you want to expedite parts, they will, uh, or shipments, they will do it air freight for not too much more expensive than driving. So that brings us to our friends over at Ocean Freight. Ocean Freight is a big, big service, and they have, there's so many different Ocean Freight services, and we'll talk a little. Well, this is going to be a separate podcast just on ocean, but I'll go over some of the big ones, and then, Jeremy, may I get your two cents on it. When you're talking about Ocean Freight, you're not just talking about one kind of ship or one kind of shipment. There are some that are considered like bulk carriers where you see like they'll be carrying like coal or pellets of some sort. There's others that are container ships. So I think most of us are used to those intermodal containers. Sometimes you'll see tankers that just are moving some sort of liquid. And of course, there's refrigerator ships to moving, you know, mostly food, but also um, imagine pharmaceutical stuff. Then there's those roll on, roll off ships where they have wheeled vehicles going on. And then there's multi-purpose ships. So it's an enormous space. So when somebody says ocean freight, it's not just one kind of freight. We'll do a separate podcast on that. So, I, I mean, that's that's something that's going to have to have its own <laughs> own time. But do you have anything to add to that, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the times you're going to see ocean freight for materials or just products that are coming from China in containers. A lot of these containers are just packed and then brought on to the vessel and then it ships across the sea and it usually takes upwards of like three weeks to a month, I believe, to actually get across. So it's a very simple process, but it's a lot cheaper than obviously air freight. Yep. And those things are usually, if it's coming from China, it's normally that's that ocean, <laughs> that ocean carrier lands in LA. And if it's coming from Europe, I guess it comes from maybe on the East Coast, New Jersey or somewhere on the Eastern seaboard. But yeah, the containers that we're used to, We'll get in more, a little into the intermodal in just a second here, but it's a big, important part of our global freight and our global trade. That brings us to the next one, which is the fourth category, which is less than truckload. I'll share some of my thoughts on it, Jeremy, then get you to give your two cents. So if you look at less than truckload, you're using less than truckload services when you have six pallets or so or less. When you don't need a whole truck, you just want to move, let's just say, six pallets from Detroit to L.A. Rather than use a whole truck and spend, I don't know, four or $5,000, you would instead get a part of a truck. And the way the less than truckload carriers work is they have like drivers who are on like a route. So they'll come, you call, you say, come pick up my facility. They will be pick up usually in the afternoon, take it back to their terminal, combine it with other freight, and then start moving it towards, usually, well, if I Detroit to LA example, they would move it with other stuff moving west. So some of it might stop in Chicago, some of it might stop in Vegas, but they are trying to move that all the way from Detroit to LA combined with other people's shipments. If you look at those guys, there's kind of really two route drivers, one on the pickup side, and after they've picked up the next morning, they will deliver the stuff that's also on their route. So you'll notice two route drivers, and the guy in the middle is usually called line haul. So it's much cheaper to do it that way if you've got six pallets than getting a whole truck, but per unit cost is a little more expensive than getting a whole truck. So what do you have to add to that, Jeremy? Yeah, all that is exactly right. And then on top of that, I would say that your freight gets touched a little bit more. It uses a hub and spoke model. So your freight ends up being touched a lot more than, say, like a truckload shipment. So there's more of a chance that it could potentially get damaged. So you're just going to want to make sure that it's packaged well on a pallet or a crate. And then it's also... 
the freight is classified as well by this book called the National Motor Freight Classification Book. So everything from like a ping pong ball to like a piece of machinery is classified. And that has to do with basically the size of the shipment. And the density too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's kind of a weird system. And we did a whole podcast on just less than truckload basics with my friend Doug. So if you're interested in that, please check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes. That's our fourth service. The fifth service I want to talk about is truckload, which is probably the the most the majority of the people here <laughs> listening to this podcast, that's what they work in. So Jeremy, talk a little bit about the truckload and the truckload market. Yeah, so truckload shipments are going to usually be a full container. So like a full, not container, but um, the entire trailer trailer <laughs> of the truck. It's uh, usually about 40,000 pounds is a truckload shipment. So you usually get about 24 pallets in that as well. The other time that you might use a truckload shipment is if you just don't want your freight to be touched as many times. If you have like a expensive piece of machinery, you might use a, a truckload carrier as well, just so it's not damaged. Yeah, there is definitely when you're doing less than truckload, you're going to have it more touched more. And I know they work really hard in the less than truckload space to try and avoid that. And I should also mention that when you're shipping, like let's just say frozen food or even refrigerated food, it's a little harder to do it with less than truckload because the doors are opening at other locations. So it's hard to manage the temperature. And so the security is a concern for uh, food and pharma sometimes. So that's the big dog. That's what the majority of the people listening to this podcast probably work in is uh, truckload. That brings us to the next bucket, which is dedicated contract carriage. I never knew what this one was until recently. I guess I kind of knew what it was, but now I'm more familiar. It's dedicated is... When a company doesn't want to have their own trucks, but they kind of want those trucks at their beck and call. So those trucks are usually dedicated to their service. So you might even see, I know like Whole Foods, I think they're one of these companies where you'll see their trucks and they'll see their trailers that have got their decals on it. It looks like, hey, they own their own trucks. But in reality, a trucking company is managing those trucks for them. So they hire the drivers and they put them in a shirt that normally has the Whole Foods on one side, maybe the company trucking company name on the other. The trailer and the tractor oftentimes are branded to the company that is paying for the service. But it's a great service for a lot of companies that say, we want the control and the flexibility of having our own trucks, but we know we're not expert at managing trucking services. So rather than battling, <laughs> they, they say, we'll go find a trucking company to help us out. And there's companies that specialize in that, obviously. No, it makes sense because, I mean, it seems like if you're running a trucking company, there's all sorts of regulatory issues and dealing with drivers and whatnot. So it makes sense that there's companies out there that kind of just handle all that for you so you can concentrate on running Whole Foods. Yep. And, you know, when you also think about it, like, you know, where most of us are used to uh, the contract brokerage or uh, spot back quotes. That takes time too. You know, we have a pretty efficient market. We do a pretty good job of getting those trucks when people need them. But it's not all bad to say, hey, I've got 11 trucks that are dedicated to me. And if I have a little extra work, I'll go and I'll get a, my trucking company. They'll go get me another truck for my, but, but I keep that core, keep my stuff moving. So dedicated, that's the sixth service. So let's talk about intermodal. That is our seventh service. Jeremy, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so intermodal, you're, you're going to see a lot from like Asia. So like when a boat's loaded to go ocean freight with a container, they pack that container full with a ton of stuff. And as you know, the container was like, a, it was awesome because before, I guess, they used to pack a lot of stuff loose and it was a lot more difficult. So that container goes across the sea and then it ends up at like a port, say the port of Los Angeles, where drayage trucks or drayage picks it up and then moves it onto a rail or over the road. So it's when the freight is touched multiple times. 
So it's that kind of seamless touch of intermodal. Yep. And I think I read an article a few years back and it was kind of making the point that intermodal, which utilizes containers, was a huge innovation that helped drive global trade because you have that that container, you fill it up, let's just say you filled it up with some product in China. It gets put in the container in that, that factory and then put on a truck, taken to the port. The port just takes, picks up the container with a crane, usually puts it into drayage. The drayage gets onto, and then it's craned onto a boat. Then the next time it, it's taken off the boat in, let's just say, Port of LA, it's drayed over to a warehouse and then eventually ends up in some factory, some distribution center. And when they open that, the last time the product was unloaded was in or loaded was in China. Previously, people would load and unload in boxcars like anybody. Yes, I remember my dad told me when he was a kid, he used to unload boxcars. That was pre-intermodal. And uh, he said it was unbelievably hard work. And he says a ton of guys did it. He said to empty a, a rail car took a long time and had a lot of guys to do it. And so having this intermodal has really made things fast and standardized transportation made things a lot better for all of us. Continuing on, let's talk about the eighth service, which is Final Mile. Final Mile, yeah. I actually recently had something. I ordered a couch from a company called Joybird over in Los Angeles. And it's one of those companies that's like direct to consumer. They actually had hired JB Hunt to deliver my couch and they basically unboxed it and brought it inside. But it's a service for the last mile of the freight. So whoever's basically delivering the freight. And they also, I think that brands are getting a little bit more concerned about that final mile because it's the last touch that you're going to see from the brand. So from Joybird to me. So I think that there's a lot of, I guess, a lot of eyes on this particular market. Absolutely. With growing to direct to consumer, we're seeing more and more final mile. And Jeremy, you know, for your product, that couch that was shipped to your house. So I imagine JB Hunt managed the line haul from wherever that came in, probably LA and up to Portland. And they probably, I don't know this, maybe there was a separate company that did the final mile for J.B. Hunt, or maybe J.B. Hunt has their own final mile services, I'm not sure. But that final mile company, they usually going to be a little more, um, a lot of times they're uniformed, they're going to have nice trucks because consumers don't want to open their door to, hey, some rickety truck showed up and some guys with uh, nose rings. Nothing against nose rings, it's just my mom might not open the door if you knock on her door with one. And so... Final mile, a lot of times also, if you're getting a Peloton or some electronic systems that have to be set up, a lot of times they have to be trained to do that final mile, and there's going to be some consumer interaction. So there's a much higher bar. And also, I always say when you're delivering to a home, you're not delivering to a professional. It's one thing to deliver to a dock every day where you get to know the guys, and you're delivering to a professional receiver. Uh, If you're driving to the average consumer's house, they're not going to know too much about logistics. There might be barking dogs or broken address signs. So there's a lot of problems that that can happen on the final mile. So that brings us to number nine, which is rail transportation. So we use railroads to haul transport. We always have. Since the 60s, when it seemed like trucking became more, when the expressway systems all connected the entire United States, even the South and the Southwest, it made it much easier to have our railroad, I mean, our highway system, our expressway system that connected our country. But previous to that, one of the great ways to go move trade was with rail cars. And now we see the growth of intermodal that has helped prop up the rail industry. And it's still an important part of our transportation infrastructure. So talk a little bit about that 
Yeah, the United States has great railroad systems. We have some of the best railroads in the world. And the good thing about rail is it's a little bit, well, it's a little bit more slower to actually get your freight from point A to point B. But the good thing about it is it's just a lot more efficient because you could add, you know, a ton of those containers onto a rail and then only have one or two people actually controlling the train. So it's just a lot more efficient than doing it over the road. Oh, yeah. And again, moving stuff from, uh, a lot of people move a container from LA to uh, New York or Chicago. And to your point, it's hundreds of rail cars and one guy's driving it. So yeah, there's some efficiencies there for sure. And I know they can be a little with rail. I'm not an expert in it, but I do know that they don't always want to work with just-in-time type companies. So if you're working with them, you want to be able to make sure that it's a good fit. That brings us to the 10th service. And the 10th service and the 11th service, most people would say not real familiar with them. It wouldn't might not fit in this category, but that's the best category for them. So one is fleet acquisition. And, and those are just services that help companies acquire trucks. And they would be an expert in, I work with all the trucking companies, I can get you the best price. And they will understand their customer needs just like any other sales account manager guy. And then go help them acquire the right assets for their trucking company. And the other one that gets into that same category is equipment and driver leasing. And that's just when companies, a lot of companies will say, hey, we get some new business and we don't think we're going to need it for, we don't have trucks for it, but we're going to lease a truck for six months from this company and we're going to maybe even lease a driver. So it's kind of like contract, I mean, just a little bit like dedicated in that. But in that case, you're taking control day to day of that trucking asset and the driver. You don't really lease a driver, but you're leasing the equipment. Those are the 10th and 11th services. So Jeremy, I'm going to go over these. I'm going to summarize and then I'll get your final thoughts on this topic. So the first service we talked about was package delivery or small parcel. Second is air cargo. The third is transportation over the ocean. Number four is less than truckload or sometimes called LTL. Then we'll talk about number five is truckload. Number six is dedicated contract carriage. Number seven is intermodal. Number eight is final mile. Number nine is rail. And then 10 and 11, a little less seen out there is fleet acquisition and equipment and drivers when you you know have to lease equipment or drivers. So final thoughts on those transportation services, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, I will say that the only ones that I really knew before doing this was LTL, truckload, and maybe intermodal. So yeah, it was very insightful just because I feel like a lot of people that are in this industry are probably siloed into maybe a few of those. That's the problem we run into is we work with supply chain guys who look at the entire process and we are doing less than truckload or truckload or we're maybe doing ocean freight or air cargo, premium freight forwarder. And it's important that if you're going to provide the right kind of service, you have to understand all of the services that are out there, even the stuff that you don't sell. Because you might say, I don't understand warehousing, I don't care. But if you pick up and deliver to warehouses, you probably should understand their business a little bit. So those are the 11 services. And I'm going to also cover, you know, in separate podcasts, warehousing, logistics, technology, and the special services that make up the 3PL service business. So, (laughs) So before we break this off, Jeremy, tell us a little bit what's going on over at 3PL Systems. Yeah, so over at 3PL, what I've heard from a lot of different clients, I know that you've used 3PL systems in the past, is that we have one of the better kind of workflows for just handling freight for transportation management systems. And a lot of the times we're recently what we've been doing is just kind of using the best tech from other companies. So 
a new integration that we have is with a company called Hubtrans. And I found out from Cameron, the CEO over at our company, that one of our customers basically was able to reduce about four people that were actually doing AP work, so accounts payable clerk work. They were actually able to kind of redeploy them, redeploy them into other areas of their business, which I think is is huge, just because you're a lot more efficient. A lot any task that's like repeatable and that's something that could be automated usually will end up being that way. And hopefully, yeah, those employees would end up getting redeployed. Yep. I've used 3PL systems myself. It, I've used a lot of different systems. I'd say five or seven systems at least. And 3PL systems is really easy to use. And that you can tell logistics and transportation guys created it. It's always very dependable. Also, just very intuitive. So I used to teach my clients. I had like 300 clients using a, a portal. And I would teach them to use the LTL function and the truckload function in about, I'm not lying, 10 minutes. We put together like five or six PowerPoint slides and it was just that easy for our customers to use. People loved it. So great system. And again, I think it's notable that this is a system that was created by logistics guys who still use it every day. So they're eating their own cooking. They're making it better as as they go. Nope, 100%. Jeremy, this has been good. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your continued support is very much appreciated. Thanks again, Jeremy. Thanks, Joe. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 